Hi there. Welcome to another episode of Teams at Work, a podcast for the new generation of leaders. Every episode, we talk to an inspiring guest who is running a high-performance team or company to learn about their journey and get actionable tips along the way. I'm your host, my name is Daria Gutnick, and I'm the co-founder and CEO of Bunch. My team and I are on a mission to help all managers become great leaders. We're building an AI leadership coach to help you become a world-class leader with as little time invest as two minutes a day. Before we kick it off today, don't forget to subscribe as we're always having super interesting guests come and join us. Hi, everyone. It's been a while, but we are back with the Teams at Work podcast and super excited to have an extremely amazing guest today and also very timely topic. Um, can't wait to share this with you. But before we dive all into the topic today, I would like to introduce you to my co-founder, Anthony Rio, and also our COO at Bunch, who is co-hosting the show with me. Hey, Zaria. Hey, Renisa. Happy to be here. Awesome. You just gave away our guest, Anthony. That's <laughs> amazing. That. <laughs> all good. All good. So today we um, have Renita Cahorn with us, who has been an executive coach for over 10 years. But what's even more amazing is that she has worked with extremely interesting individuals, not only in the actual business environment, but also with um, Army Special Forces. So you've um, worked with Navy SEALs and, and uh, dibbled into so many different contexts and environments. Rita, I, can't, I really can't wait to, to hear all the stories. Mm. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Super excited. Um, let's actually kick it off with the first question. So we prepared a little bit and our overall topic today is, um, really digging deeper on, um, leadership and what leadership skills we actually might all need in the future. Mm -hmm. And you published so many insightful, um, articles on the topic recently that I, I couldn't wait to, to actually hear about it. Um, so yeah, first, but, uh, or, um, first question right away as a coach, you're helping executives grow and develop, of course, what's your definition of leadership and how do you differentiate that to, um, being a manager? Mm, yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And, you know, I think leadership is one of those words that has really lost uh, a lot of its meaning. Um, so you know, I'd like to make the distinction that instead of talking about leaders and managers, that we talk about the verbs leading and managing. Because I've heard people, they sort of downplay being a manager as if it's, if it's uh, inferior or lesser than somehow to being a leader. And I don't think that we should set it up as a, you know, um, uh, a good or bad kind of situation. I think sometimes we need to be leading and sometimes we need to be managing. But I think the key um, skill that really distinguishes a, someone who leads and someone who, from someone who manages is their ability to influence others without formal or direct authority. A manager is someone who always is, has, it's a title, right? It's something that is formal and, and they have this authority, but people might not listen to them otherwise if they didn't have that title. A leader is someone who can influence others to do things regardless of their title or their authority. And going forward in this world that we live in, I'm probably talking about, you know, this, this term VUCA, which is volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous, and really sums up the world that we live in in this moment. 
influence, the ability to influence people's behavior and their actions uh, is going to be key for people who want to lead and manage. This is really interesting. I'm glad you brought up the VUCA model. Um, I really, really liked it because it does sum up kind of the environment we currently all swim in, right? Mm. Um, if you, maybe just to dig deeper on that, if you were to sum up um, and you're talking to, let's say, a new, a new manager who just got into a new role at a very exciting, fast-paced company, um, there's plenty out there, um, and you were to advise them on what they should be looking at as the skills that they really, really need and probably um, have to pay a lot of attention to in building. What would those be? What mm. kind of is the selection? Yeah, yeah. I think the first thing I would say is we are in the era, this VUCA era is the era of not knowing. So there is no way to know everything now. And I think in the past, people who are in leadership or management positions feel like they have to know. They have to know the answer, regardless of how complex the situation is. And what I see sometimes is people uh, in situations where they don't know and they're pretending they do or they're, they're acting like they, they know more they do, than they do or they're just not willing to admit what they don't know. And I, I want to be clear, you have to know certain things. You have to know your metrics, your numbers. You know, there's a, there's a list of things that you probably should know. But there are, in a VUCA world, that where things are moving so quickly and constantly, there's no way you can know everything. And I think that, that skill, maybe you want to call it vulnerability, the ability to say, all right, here's what I know and here's what I don't know. Um, you know, I can talk more about skills. You certainly need more skills than that. But I think that's kind of the basic mindset that, um, you know, new leaders and managers need to really start to embrace and get comfortable with. That's really, really, it's a very good observation and a very good point, because I do think vulnerability is what it all revolves around right now when we look into challenges of leaders, but also just looking into our um, user community and, and um, leaders we interact with um, and bunch on a, on a daily and weekly basis. I think a lot of challenges that we get um, submitted are actually related to how do I build trust? How am I vulnerable? Um, while I'm also supposed to kind of exert hope and, and help mm. inspire progress. Um, do you have any thoughts on this? Why? And, and also it would be maybe interesting to hear your perspective on why is it so hard for us actually to be vulnerable? Oh, yeah, that, that one I can certainly answer. I mean, it goes back to our biology. And I think that's something we really need to keep in mind now is that we're wired to, to be looking out for our own survival. Our brain is always looking for potential threats uh, on the horizon. And so if you think back to our caveman days, if we didn't know the answer, or if we got it wrong, then we were a liability to the tribe and we could very well be thrown out of the tribe, which back then was a survival threat. And I just think that's just so internalized in us that just even saying the words, I got it wrong, really is hard to say, or I don't know. It just feels so, you just feel so exposed, I think, even though it's, it's, it's pretty irrational in these days. 
Um, so that's vulnerability. And then how do I build trust? And what I guess what's interesting is that's how you build trust is by being vulnerable, by w being willing to admit that you um, don't know everything, that you did make a mistake. Because what that says is I'm less interested in my survival than in, in connecting with you than in doing what's best for the tribe. I'm interested in the greater good, not just protecting my own ego, my own sense of comfort. And so that is, is what I'm teaching my clients now. It's that, that's, that's the fundamental ingredient of trust, that ability to show, to put aside your own self-protection and, and express the, uh, the, the ability to look at the greater good. And when people see that, that's when trust is immediate. It can be as quick as one conversation. Yeah, yeah. Go and for it, Anthony. <laughs> I'm actually, I'm actually really interested in following up on this because I think having having written my uh, thesis on kind of the biological dimension of a lot of this stuff, I'm very interested oh. in how your clients receive a lot of that. Do they do they do they ingest a lot of this? You know, the biological survival dimensions of trust building, vulnerability, and performance. Maybe you can touch on that a bit. Oh, they love it because it explains all the stuff, all the irrational stuff that was happening at the office. Why people, you know, behave a certain way, why they behave a certain way. So one client is like, oh, this is why I always have to insist that I'm right. I can't back down no matter how, you know, internally I can, I can feel that I'm, I'm not getting anywhere. And it's just so hard to back down and admit that you're, you're not right. So it, it kind of explains, you know, I have a model, the, the FAST model to, to indicate um, five of the, the, the social survival triggers in our environment. And so that really helps give them something concrete. It's a tool that they can use to map out a situation, you know, a difficult conversation or negotiation or a board meeting beforehand. So they can be kind of aware of what might be the, the triggers that come up in the meeting for them and for all the people in the meeting. So yeah, they find it very useful to understand the bio biology. So there's a certain actionability in understanding even just the, the, the kind of physical realm of all this stuff is what I hear. Yeah, yeah, you just feel more in control. Even if you're still triggered, now you know what's going on. You're, oh, okay, that's a fight or flight reaction. I don't actually have to react in the way that I always do and screw up the situation like I always do. Now I have a choice because I know what's going on. I know it's not, you know, a real survival um, situation. Right. Super cool. Then I guess zooming out, um, how how have looking back at the last three months, which I which I think have been, um, I think for the lack of a better way to say it, momentous for for the world, but also specifically for for leaders. How have the the recent events from the virus to also just specific social movements and everything that's happened over the last three months impacted the way mm. leaders have learned and the way um, your clients have spoken to you about their challenges and, and the way they've learned? Yeah, I think the last couple months have just been the embodiment of VUCA, right? And it's I don't think it's an anomaly. I think this is the way the world will be going forward. Maybe not all at once, all the time, but it's going to be this kind of unexpected, unpredictable, volatile things happening. And I think one of the key skills that people need to develop is adaptability. 
so that sense of, oh, can't we just, you know, when this is over, when we go back to normal, that is not going to be a good leadership mindset. The, the leadership mindset is, okay, here's how things are now, and here's what we're going to do. And then they're just managing everybody's attention and helping them stay focused on a vision um, for the near term and, and being very strategic about it. And then I guess I would add to that, they need that ability to sort of that, to be grounded and, and stay calm, um, or at least to master themselves to, to achieve some, some degree of calmness. So that, because if they're flying off the handle every time something unexpected happens, you know, that's where you lose people. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think it's been particularly tough having hours and hours and hours of Zoom calls and being stuck at home. Um, it's been particularly tough, I think, on our biological systems, but also our psychological systems to kind of live up to this. Um, do you have any tips there for, for, for people that are stuck on Zoom calls for, for 12 to 15 hours a day, 8 to 15 hours a day, to kind of get a bigger range in there? Do you have any tips on how they can, how they can self-manage? Yeah, yeah, it's it's not ideal, that's for sure. I don't think human beings are meant to spend their lives in front of a screen. Uh, I mean, we were doing it a lot already before, and now it's just become relentless. Um, I think it takes a lot more self-management, which means you have to create some kind of system for yourself where you're, you know, getting up after every every call. Um, t taking some physical movements. Uh, the flip side is, you know, now maybe you can have a yoga mat in the room and do some stretches or do some push-ups um, between each call. But you really need to be very intentional about managing yourself because otherwise inertia will take over and you could just sit at your desk, not drinking, not moving for, for three or four or more hours. So it takes, it takes a little more discipline and just intentionality. And um, it's not easy, but, you know, have a plan and then gradually train yourself to follow that plan. Can I, can I maybe jump in and just out yeah. of curiosity, um, um, yeah, just ask how, how has it been for you personally as well? Have you been able to kind of, um, yeah, devise that system for yourself and, and stick to it? And, and, and if not, which <laughs> probably for most people, it kind of breaks in, in some parts, how... Um, have you been able to to experiment and iterate on on yes. that operating system for yourself? Yeah. So I mean, I I would say that I'm pretty fortunate because I was used to this lifestyle before. I've been coaching online now for years and working out of my home. Um, ah, that's interesting. I thought you were actually also kind of doing face to face sessions. It, was it always virtual? I was doing live uh, training. Whenever I'm training a group, mm -hmm. that's in person. Mm -hmm. But coaching mm -hmm. was always online. Interesting. Yeah, so that so that I could be anywhere, and you know, my my clients were in forty countries. Um, that but, makes sense, of course, with executives, right? Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just, I just wanted to work with international an international clientele, but I kind of got very systematic about the process uh, once you know this this because I, I I'm very much about going to the gym, and that was my you know, that was my moment to go outside into the world and, you know, interact with other people. And now that was gone. So I, I, I realized I had to really create a system. Otherwise, I could just end up sitting and working all day. So um, I have a, a pull-up bar, you know, on the, on the doorway. I have a yoga mat on the floor. And 
I just, um, I'm working on this. It's not perfect, but really trying to integrate a, you know, a stretching routine in the middle of the afternoon, doing pull-ups, you know, every time I get up to, to go to the bathroom or, or the kitchen. Um, nice. Super cool. <laughs> you know, just, just that, and it's, in fact, what's interesting is there's that, always that moment of, ah, oh, I don't want to do it this time. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. if I do do it, then there's this sense of, okay, it's just like this instant sense of energy that translates into, into my work. You know, if I'm writing an article, if I'm, I'm reaching out to somebody. So it's, it's, it's a great self-training environment, actually, because I don't really feel like doing any of those things. <laughs> but, you know, once I create a system um, and I, I'm, I track it, you know, I have a tracker so that I track my habits, my steps, my, you know, my stretching. Um, you want a sense of, oh, and I would add that actually, a tracker is great, something physical. I know there are a lot of apps, but I like to do it on paper so that I can actually see and have the physical activity of marking, you know, a box. Mm-hmm. Because I, the, the, the thing with the Zoom calls, it's, it's so abstract. You sit down for a meeting, you look at a bunch of boxes on the screen, you get up after the meeting and the, so you, don't, you don't know what happened, right? There's no record of what just happened in that hour and then that in that day and then that week. And so we need to find ways to concretize our life. So, you know, I have index cards. I write things on index cards so I can hold them, um, post-its. You know, I'm very much about writing things down by hand. This is so interesting because I'm just actually, as you, as you were speaking, I was taking notes in my notebook physically with my pen mm-hmm. <laughs> and <laughs> I've never been using it so much. Like I'm systematic about it, doing like check boxes, literally like drawing a check box that I can tick off yeah. by the end of the day for my to-do list. I haven't. And those that, and that uh, know me, I'm sure Anthony, you've seen how like little physical I actually in the end am. I'm not one of these people that does like, 500 post-its around them all the time but this this time really taught me to I, I have definitely this need that you were just um referencing Ninja, yes to really concretize concretize yeah and super, i think it creates a sense of of being there's there's no sense of satisfaction so you know sometimes i envy people who repair motorcycles or who do things that are physical with their hands because they see what it was like before and then they see what it was like after and yeah. for us who work, you know, um, online most of the day, we don't have... And a, with humans. A, a, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We don't have a concrete expression of, of the work that we're doing. And I think as humans, that, that's, that can be hugely unsatisfying. And so we need to find a way to create that somehow. I do think there's a sense of... I do think there's a sense of what I've told myself over the last couple of days is... It's almost, and I think, Daria, that's what you're getting out of your notes, right? It's almost a sense of, like, permanence. It's almost a sense of, this is not going to fade away in two seconds. The Zoom call is not just going to end, and then things are going to fall off my screen. I think when you're working with notes, even if you're done with that page, Daria, right? You check it off, but it still exists. So there's yes. almost a sense of, like, it's not a fleeting I've satisfaction. I've been here before. But it's no, no, but it's yeah. also like, I've been, yeah, I've been here. This was not a dream. <laughs> this really happened. And now we moved on to the next yeah. phase. And then when you go back to that page, when you're flipping through, now you're going to have more of a sensory memory of that time, which I don't think you get just looking at notes on a screen. 
No, when your your to-dos go off your screen, typically my to-do system on my screen, when I when I check something off, it literally disappears. And I think that's this, this very kind of very um uh very uh fleeting reward. Whereas I think when you're working with real stuff in real life, um it stays with you for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um I want to bring us back a little bit to to these um to the skills we need to build to survive in the VUCA and thrive in the VUCA. <laughs> thrive in the VUCA. Um, yes. Thrive in the VUCA. Um, I think an interesting artifact of what we're going through right now is not only that there is VUCA, so like already this is a new environment, which we maybe don't have the skills for and we're not prepared for and we didn't train for as well as we should have, but we didn't. But also, because of VUCA and 15-hour, we need to find a good name for this, I think, 15-hour Zoom call days. Mm. This alone is a phenomenon. A phenomenon. Um, we have this Monday my Monday meeting marathon um, because we're trying to not have meetings throughout the other day. So we do all meetings on Monday, and it literally leads to a 15-hour day. Um, in a startup environment, being a founder, we have like, you know, the team stops at like, I don't know, six, seven or something. And then we keep going for a management wow. meeting for like uh, two hours. It's yeah, it's tricky. Um, it does help with the productivity. But what I was trying to say is, I think the other challenge that we see as managers and, and as leaders and as aspiring managers as leaders is that we don't actually barely like we don't have any time anymore to learn new things either. So that's, I think, makes it very tricky because in order to internalize, how do I even, I mean, how am I vulnerable in front of my team? Like, what can I do? Do I watch YouTube videos? Do I like read books? Even if I do commit to that. So like, what is what is my, my equivalent of pull-up bar for these very kind of tacit skills? How mm -hmm. can I build them up while being in Zoom meetings 15 hours a day? I think that's a... Well, I'll say question. something maybe a little provocative, which is you might not need any more information. Uh, what I would recommend is that you start learning, you, you know, being the general you, learning more from your actual experience. So what I've noticed is most people, and I've just written an article about this, they extract maybe 5% of the learning from their, learn, their lived experience meaning they have a meeting, things don't go well, and then they, but they just go on to the next thing. And they might look back and say, oh, that didn't go well. They might feel bad about it. They might identify one thing that you know, they could do differently, but they don't really mind that meeting for all the learning. And I think if you can just take 15 minutes a day to do, you know, in the military, they do debriefs of all their missions. That's how they identify their mistakes, what went wrong, what were the decisions they made, what was the communication around the decisions, what, you know, what went wrong with the execution of the decisions. They break down everything. And so and now do they, they do this daily. Do they do this daily? They do it after missions. Um, so maybe mm. it's not daily. But I'm talking mm. about a 15-minute routine. So mm. taking that same attitude into your day, looking at the day as a mission, and saying, all right, what were the decisions I made? What, how did mm -hmm. I communicate around those decisions? You know, execution of those decisions. Or as I write about in the article, uh, I talked with Chris Holmberg, an executive coach, who talks about the it, the we, and the I. So the it is everything that happened. The we is me, my team, my board, my, my stakeholders. And then I, how did I manage myself? And so you just look at those three elements every day 
and you and you just kind of identify what went well and what didn't go well. And now you have something to take into the next day. And then you can try something different and, and play with that. And then so now you have compound learning instead of having to have the same experience. If you have, you know, 15 meetings, you're probably not changing that much from meeting to meeting. You know, wherever you go, that's super where you are. Interesting. <laughs> that's super interesting. I I love this. I'm going to try this now. I'm actually while while you were speaking, I was thinking I'm going to make myself a calendar invite, which is going to be my reflection 15 minutes hmm. at the end of the day. Because another challenge we all struggle with is we don't know how to end. So we have this thing since a year or so, which we call date night, which is like this one day in the week where we like need to go off screen earlier than we oh, typically would do nice, nice. To, to like, yeah, to go and, and be with our partners. And like the, the fact that we have it in our calendars, I think uh, showcases how bad it was before because we actually didn't manage. So we were kind of fuzzing out every day. And now we're good with that, I think. Um, but it's still definitely tricky to find an end to the day. So I think what I'm going to try is to put myself this, um, reminder, then do the three reflection questions and then um, see how that goes. This is super, super actionable. Thank you for sharing that. Well, and I'm going to, I would add to that. It's not easy. You know, the power of inertia is you want to keep doing what you're already doing. So the pull of just to keep on working is really strong. Yeah. So it's not just, okay, I know I got to stop at six. I'll stop at six. That's not how but human not nature works. I'm not done yet. Yes, yes. <laughs> Just one more thing. Oh, let me check my email. Oh, look at that. Oh, yeah, I forgot to do that. Right? That and then the on. rabbit hole. The rabbit hole. The rabbit like, hole. oh, yeah, like you see this one thing and then it reminds you of this other thing that you didn't do. So you jump to that thing. And then exactly. that reminds you of this other thing. So you're trying to do five things at the same time. Obviously, none of them like properly. Um, yeah, definitely hear you. Yeah. So understanding that it's going to be difficult is is helpful, I think. And I, I had an idea around the 15-hour days, if that's, some, if that's something that actually is, you know, something you've decided and, and it is helping your productivity, is to kind of treat it like, you know, in, in, the, in the SEALs, they have uh, BUDS or they have, uh, you know, the BUDS training, which is, and they call it hell week because it's, it's almost a week of just like this hellish training. Um, mm -hmm. but that's where the, the, the guys realize how much they're actually capable of because it's really hard to push yourself on your own. So what you might do is just kind of create this energy around this, I don't know, hell day, hell zoom day, where it's going to be 15 hours of calls and you're just out there like lifting everybody up. You know, you know, it's painful, you know, it's hard, but you're doing something hard together and you just kind of change the mindset around it. You're not, you're not changing what you're actually doing because you're still having those 15 calls. But it, there's just an energy to it that you don't have when it's just like, oh, here we go again. Yeah, and it's also about the common mission, right? Like the shared mission, we're going to get through this. We know yeah. why we're doing it because we have a productive week after. So let's do this. And it's actually really interesting. I think last week, somebody also called me out on the team saying like, hey, why do I have this Tuesday meeting? It's supposed to happen on Monday. No, 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 no. That needs to go into Monday. <laughs> this is uh, where, like, our 15-hour Zoom call Monday is like, why is this? <laughs> what is this right. thing doing on my Tuesday? That's a slippery slope. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's definitely super interesting. Um. Anthony, did you have any follow-ups on this? I otherwise I keep going here. I actually, I actually have a. I want to zoom out again. I mean, I think that's lovely and and very actionable. I mean, Renita, my big question there is, 
when when looking back at all the work you've done with the with the military and with the folks in the field um so for the leaders out there what what does a navy seal have in common with um a leader or an executive and what are the differences perhaps that they should be aware of yeah so i often tell entrepreneurs how much they are like navy seals because they're they have to be agile they're working in small teams often in stealth mode they have to be very adaptable and and you know they're usually very mission focused so there are a lot of um uh, similarities between just just the way they have to be um, looking at the world, and and I think adaptability and that sense of we're a team here trying to do impossible things is is something that they very much have in common. Um, to, you know, and, and I would say that the difference is something the seals have that you know it's hard to to sort of simulate in um work environment is that they're basically living together. They're, you know, when they're out, when they're deployed, their lives are very integrated. And so they're, they really get to know each other at um, a personal level. And that's why they develop such a strong bond of trust. Um, and so, of course, you know, in, in the professional world, that's not possible. But I would say that that's one reason why they do have such lifelong uh, trust, trusted relationships with each other. And if you were to give, if you were to give one piece of advice for those, for those teams and leaders out there that, you know, I guess are trying to live up to the professional version of what would be a tight knit sealed seal squad, um, what would be the one tip? Is it the trust? Is it trying to get as vulnerable on the professional day to day to establish as much trust as possible? Or is it something else? Well, the best seals are vulnerable. The ones that can say, you know, what, I screwed up, take it to take responsibility or extreme ownership. For their mistakes, um, I think I think we could be bringing in more of that personal sense of caring. So something I've noticed with the and I, I train with the Navy SEAL candidates. Um, so what I've noticed, and we had Navy former Navy SEALs coming in to train them in the physical portion. What I've noticed is they they can speak to them very harshly, you know, using profanities and calling them names, but it comes from a place of caring. You can just see that they really care about them. So we're making things hard for them so that they can get strong, so that they won't so that they won't be weak in battle, basically. And I feel like that sense of caring is something we could bring more to the professional environment because that's really what people want. They want to feel like people care about them. And then they will give all kinds of effort. I think that's fantastic. I think that's um I think for some for a lot of folks out there, I think the 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 sports team metaphor is a bit more accessible, right? And I think internally we also use kind of passing the ball and being kind of the dream team and all that. But I think there are a lot of folks and I know um the the recent book, The Culture Code, maybe it's not so recent actually, but he has a whole chapter in there about Navy SEALs and the culture and how yes. how to kind of apply it at work, right? Yes. Yeah, that's a great book. Um and and you know one of the examples he's, is he gives is of, of Dave Cooper, a Navy SEAL, who's who's sort of recognized as the guy who builds the best teams, and he's the one that says, um, you know what, guys, I screwed up, or he'll come in with a plan and he'll say, all right, what what did I miss with this plan? And you know that's not an attitude that you see in the movies about Navy SEALs, where you just think they just go charging in and they don't show any weakness. 
But what I've seen is that the best special forces are able to show that side of, of I don't know everything. You know, we're in this together. I need your help. Yeah, it kind of pulls it back full circle to what you said at the beginning of the conversation, right? The, mm-hmm. the, um, the I can't know anything and kind of, you know, getting people to embrace the fact that, no, you can't know anything and it's actually okay, but also good if you admit it. And it actually helps your team and, and uh, uh, your company um, bond and, and come together even stronger. Yeah. Now, the, the thing that the piece that I would add to this is often people, they might hear some advice like this, this all this advice about vulnerability. They go into a meeting and basically they, I'm going to air quotes here, they get it wrong. They're vulnerable in a way that's needy or insecure or it's not coming from a place of confidence. And then they, th- they think, that didn't work. I'm not going to do that again. And so they think they don't want to be vulnerable because um, of, the, of how it didn't work for them. And so what I'm seeing now is that people really need to train in this new way of being, to train to be um, more vulnerable, to train to have more empathy, to train to be more curious. Because all these books, I think you alluded to this before, there are so many you know, helpful psychological concepts out there Mm-hmm. But people don't know how to put them into Design action. Them. And then when yeah. they do, they don't get a good result. So they think that the concept doesn't work. Or even worse, they think there's something wrong with them. Because they think everybody else knows how to do it and they don't. And so that can really be a hit to their confidence. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I have so many ideas. I was actually just um, um, reflecting on kind of the all the awesome points you made throughout this uh Super quick, actually. It's been half an hour and we've hit so many points home. I think um just wanted to maybe um debrief quickly. I think we talked about the calmness that we all need. And I think um we, we have a different podcast episode on that actually with Carl Alomar, which came out just recently after COVID-19 was uh titled the pandemic. And he was talking all about when you're really, really when when shit hits the fan you really need to step two steps back and be slower than you usually are and not panic and, and be as rational as you can be. So I think it's really um, important point. But then at the same time, it, around vulnerability and trust, I think most leaders and managers kind of understand at this point that they're related, they need to be vulnerable, they need to be authentic in order to build trust. But the big how, um, I've just written down the big application error, <laughs> I think is what mm-hmm. you just described. It's I get it. It's fine. Brandy Brown and all like, but I don't still don't know how. And my days are 15 hour Zoom calls. So how and when will I figure it out? And then you made a really great point that it's um, compounding um, effect of, of it aggregates over time, right? So it's not about having one whole day to like grow yourself. It's really about the 15 minute reflections at the end of each day, at the end of each week or at the end of each mission mm-hmm. um, that really can make a difference. Um, Absolutely. And, and and we have made this, um, I think, a stretch towards this concretization of our life that we actually lack these um, artifacts right now, and that we're trying to to find replacements of them. So I think so many great ideas. I'm I want to drill down on all of them. Um, I'll definitely, I think, we'll definitely have to have a follow up on this mm. for sure. Um, but for now, I think, is there any kind of like last? minute thoughts or advice or or tips that you think we didn't speak about that in this VUCA conversation 
when I'm listening to um, this episode right now as, as a manager. I really should know about and we didn't actually talk about. Mm. Well, I would say that the key skill that we didn't touch on yet and is that people need to learn how to, to love themselves, to be kind to themselves. Um, and, you know, my high performer clients struggle with this because they think, no, if I'm kind to myself, then I won't be motivated to achieve anymore. And I think that's a fundamental misunderstanding. And so, um, you know, it, it's sort of my stealth mission is to help people learn how to, to love themselves and to be kind to themselves, which paradoxically is what's going to help them perform better and to learn faster. Um, Could we unpack this for a few, um, a few more seconds or minutes? Because I think it's super important. Um, I've had this conversation with an executive not so long ago where we hit it exactly this point. It was more around perfectionism and kind of like to strive mm -hmm. for, for excellence, yeah. right? And if I am lax and if I trade discipline for self-care, how do I make sure that I actually still achieve excellence? And I really struggled to answer this question to him because I, I totally understand the logic. I also know there's, there is a flaw in it somehow because in reality, it works the other way around when I'm self-cared and I am in a much better place and a much better mind space. I'm definitely much more performant. But what is your perspective on like, how does this actually logically work? Why do I perform better if I'm actually maybe not as stressed out about my mm -hmm. highly ambitious goals? So I don't know if the executive actually said the word lax. If I'm lax, how does that work? I don't think so. It was more about discipline, I think. Okay. But I think that's, he, that, that's the attitude that people have. So they, they think that the pendulum swings all the way, you know, the other way. Like, okay, well, if I'm just sitting on the couch taking care of myself, How am I supposed to achieve? And that's not what I'm talking about. It's really, if, if, you, if we want to zone in just for this conversation, it's how you talk to yourself after, let's say, after you did screw up or make a mistake. Do you berate yourself, flagellate yourself, feel ashamed, feel embarrassed? Or do you say, oh, ouch, that really hurts, doesn't it? You know, and then you just kind of talk to yourself, talk to your seven-year-old self. That hurts, doesn't it? We, tr we worked so hard for that and it still didn't work out, you know, and then you just kind of give yourself to like, you know, pat your seven-year-old's head, right? Your inner child, basically, which, is, you know, could be a whole nother conversation, but just mm -hmm. kind of talk to yourself as if you were that, that child who that's really who, what's feeling the pain, right? Is that your, your inner child? And then you say, all right, so we're going to try again. And you just coach yourself with a kinder voice. It's not like you're saying, you know what, we don't have to do that. You're saying, okay, we're going to try it again, and this time we're going to do it this way, okay? I think you can do this, right? Isn't that how you talk to, to a young child that you want to encourage? But most people yeah, right? don't talk to their own inner childs like that. They, they're very scathing, critical, harsh, and then they wonder why they don't have confidence and why they don't, they're not motivated, <laughs> I think that's fantastic, yeah. Juanita. I think I think it only, it speaks to a lot of the research that's been done around the power of the story you tell yourself and how that's actually one of the it's kind of the X factor in whether you'll actually get up and and do the same thing again and then ultimately succeed 10x, you know, X number of times down the road, right? I think that's that's really good advice. Yeah, and if I could just add just the biology to that because this really crystallized it for me. 
So what happens when you make a mistake is you see yourself as a threat. And so that's why it's hard to be so kind to yourself because it's at a primal level, you see yourself as a threat. So you're having a fight or flight reaction to yourself. And so it's very hard to say, just walk up to that saber tooth tiger and pat him on the head when, in, when instead you want to fight or you want to run. And so that's why it's hard to be kind to yourself. And so people need that, to understand that as well. That must hit home for a lot of the executives out there. I think that's really great. I think so. It's been an amazing conversation. Thank you so much for taking uh, time and also taking a bit more time than we planned. I don't want to be mindful, though, also of our listeners' time. So thank you so much for everyone who's been listening. Um, it's been really great to have you all, and it's been amazing to listen and, and have this conversation with you, Renita. Thank you, Daria. Thank you, Anthony. Thank you, Renita. Thanks for listening to Teams at Work. Let me know what your thoughts are on today's episode. You can find me on Instagram at Daria Gutnick and start a conversation there. At the beginning of the show, I mentioned that my team and I are building an AI leadership coach to help you become a world-class leader in just two minutes a day. It's coming out very soon on the Apple App Store. If you want to get early access, though, head over to bunch.ai and simply sign up. And thanks again for listening. I'm your host. My name is Daria Gutnick. I'm the co-founder and CEO at Bunch. If you liked today's episode, make sure to subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts.